In Viking times, a thing was a gathering, a place where leaders and warriors could meet and talk. In the 21st century, our thing is a virtual place, where history academics and enthusiasts from around the world can come together to share knowledge. We're your hosts, Miranda Schmiederer and Lucas Norton. So hold on to your helmets for this episode of that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. We have found ourselves yet again in the galleries of the Jorvik Viking Center. Um, and I figure now's a good time for another gallery walkthrough. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. So should we move on from our trade and travel case from last time to the next case further along? We haven't moved even one step since <laughs> that episode. <laughs> yeah, I think we should. Um, now, I kind of want to bounce around the galleries a little bit today. I want to, all of these cases are going to have a common theme. Um, but they're dotted around the galleries. Um, so how do you feel about talking about our skeletons today? Yeah, let's take a look at them. Excellent. So what can you tell us about our skeletons we've got on display here? So they've each got their own unique story to tell. Before we dive into what we can learn from this first skeleton, we should probably mention that we've not just carelessly thrown a bunch of human remains into cases here. There's some very strict ethical guidelines that we are following yeah. when displaying these human remains. So currently at Jorvik Viking Center, we have got three skeletons on display and these have been selected because they have clear educational purpose. We of course make sure we treat them with dignity and respect and we also follow a set of guidelines published by the Advisory Panel on the Archaeology of Burials in England and the availability of human remains in our attractions is subject to review by an external panel. I think people can often forget that while they're looking at a case, that that is a, a human they're looking at, you know? That that is somebody who was standing more or less in the same spot that we might have been a thousand years ago. So yeah. it's, it's easy to kind of put them in the same sort of category as the sock we have on display or something, but um, a lot of care has to be taken. Yeah, definitely. So skeletal remains, they constitute a significant source of information about the Viking Age. For example, they can tell us about living conditions, diets, health, and disease. And their surroundings and the manner of their burial can tell us all about Viking-era ritual and religious belief as well. Some skeletal remains can display signs of deliberate damage, representing the consequences of war and violent unrest upon humans. And skeletal remains marked by disease and illness can illustrate the consequences of untreated infections, providing a warning, perhaps, for people today because of antibiotic resistance and things like that. So there's a lot we can learn from these skeletal remains. But we, of course, make sure we treat them with dignity, display them in an appropriate manner with accurate information on the analysis of these remains as well. All right, so I think our first skeleton that we've got here, known affectionately as the Coppergate Woman, I think she might be our best known skeleton. Um, they just did a, a play about her, actually, at yeah. the York Theatre Royal. Um, I think the premise of the play was that she um, woke up during one of the COVID-19 lockdowns. So, you know, thankfully, um, that hasn't actually <laughs> happened. She is still here to educate us. What can you tell us about the Coppergate Woman? Yeah, well, firstly, visitors will kind of meet her on the ride, I should mention, because we have recreated what she would have looked like when she was alive. She's walking through the Coppergate marketplace, so you see her recreation before you <laughs> see her skeleton when you come to visit the Viking Centre. 
And as her name implies, she was found here on Coppergate. The Coppergate dig is, of course, the excavation site where Jorvik Viking Centre has been constructed. So she was found in a shallow pit close to the River Foss, which was actually quite far from some of the other burials that were found on the site. They were clustered together. And her grave had some later activity that disturbed it. You might notice that her lower leg bones just aren't there. That's not a sign of a horrific death. Uh, she didn't have her legs chopped off before she died or anything like that. This happened after burial. There's no evidence of a coffin. She was probably wrapped up in a shroud, we think. Uh, it has been suggested that she could have maybe been something of a social outcast, perhaps, buried separately from other people. Or alternatively, maybe she's buried in a churchyard and our dig site has just got the very edge of that churchyard. Yeah, so she's like at the wall of the, the graveyard, isn't she? And we just Pretty haven't much. gotten any further in, maybe. Yeah, we've got at the very top end of this street is All Saints Church. The building that you'll see is late medieval, but there's been a church there since Anglo-Saxon times. And St. Mary's Church, which is right next to the Orbit gift shop. There's been a church there, I think, since the 11th century. So she could be associated... With either of them. Yeah, Yeah. potentially. So she's dated somewhere between the late 9th and early 11th century. So that sounds very Viking Age to me. It does, yeah. And the skull and the pelvis suggest that she is of female sex. She was aged 45 years old or older when she died. That's very broad. 45 or older. Was she 100? Was she 45? (laughs) Somewhere in that age bracket, (laughs) yeah. So the human skeleton changes as we age. Um, Of course, you might be aware that babies will have kind of a spot on their head you're not supposed to touch because the skull isn't fully formed. Our bones are all kind of a bit separate when we're very young (laughs) and they fuse together as we age. And for younger adults, we can very clearly date skeletons. We can go, oh, this person's clearly aged about, you know, 20 to 25. This one is aged 25 to 30. Once you get to 45, your skeleton's just sort of dumb. (laughs) Doesn't really change anymore. So unless you have other things to give you context, like a gravestone with a date of birth and a date of death (laughs) or something, it can be quite difficult to precisely work out how old somebody is purely based upon bones alone. So we know she's definitely reached 45. She may have died at that age, or she may have lived another few decades. <laughs> it's very difficult to know. Um, when you see her on the ride, I think she does look quite old, but her hair isn't grey, I noticed very recently when it's, I went around She's the got ride. red hair, hasn't yeah. she? Yeah. So we've depicted her as a little bit younger, I think, there. <laughs> but difficult to be very precise. Now, we actually know where she is from, originally, before she came to Coppergate to Jorvik, um, because we can do a strange study on her teeth to work this out. Ooh, so does her teeth say, like, property of Norway not, or something? Not quite, no, no. Fair enough. Is it like um, that thing in Black Panther where they pull the lip down and it says that they're from Wakanda, you know? No, not oh, that. that's either. not no, really no, no runes on her, though. <laughs> Um, it's a technique called isotopic analysis, where you do a chemical analysis of teeth and sometimes bones, and essentially the stuff that you're eating and drinking, when you're a child in particular, affects your bone chemistry. So different types of food differ in the number of heavier and lighter isotopes of different elements they contain. So for example, food from the sea contains lots of heavy isotopes of carbon, compared to that on the land. If you found evidence of heavier isotopes, 
that suggests this person's had quite a rich seafood diet, suggests in a kind of coastal upbringing. But we can actually be very, very precise in specific regions that people came from. So I won't dive too much into this because I struggle to understand it, honestly. <laughs> um, it's been a long time since I did chemistry at school. But archaeologists assure me, yes, this is a very, very precise technique for working out where somebody came from, what their diet was. And this particular individual, found buried right here on Coppergate in York, isotopic analysis shows us that she is not from York. She's not even from England. She actually spent her childhood by the coast, probably in Scandinavia, possibly from the northern tip of Scotland, which is also a Scandinavian colony in this period, of course. But, yeah, quite likely somewhere like southern Norway, southern Sweden, and she's migrated here to York. So she to the is, big city. Yeah. She's, a, she's a proper immigrant, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, a Viking Age migrant to Jorvik. So, based on the dates we've got, you never know. Maybe she was with the great heathen army, or maybe she came a bit later on when things were a bit more chilled out here in Jorvik. So, she is our Viking woman here. Now, one of my favorite things to talk about with her is actually her disability. She she was disabled. She probably used a walking stick, didn't she? Yeah, so we, we have this kind of image, of course, in popular culture of Vikings being massive, tall, robustly strong men. But also, there was disease, there was illness in this time period as well, and disability too. So if you look at this particular skeleton, you'll notice that her legs are actually very mismatched in size. Her pelvis isn't symmetrical either. Her right femur has completely dislocated and formed a false joint as well. So what she has here is severe misalignment of the hip joint, which today is easily treated at birth. It's known as congenital hip dysplasia. But this is a really, really severe case this woman had here. So the leg and the pelvis have completely lost their normal relationship, which has resulted in lots of secondary complications. She's got evidence of lots of arthritis, uh, joint stress as well around the spine. Her left leg has actually taken a lot of the weight of her body as she walks around. So it's really, really robust and strong with much greater density than normal. So she's, she's overusing that leg too. Her arms and her shoulders are also really robust, which shows she probably walked around with crutches. And when you see her on the right, you will see we've depicted her walking with a crutch. So what we have here is the skeleton of a smallish middle-aged woman with a very pronounced limp, reliant on a crutch due to problems with her right hip, who has crossed the ocean, probably from Scandinavia. I think it's really interesting, especially the the disability aspect of it, because we kind of imagine the past as this really unforgiving place where if you weren't the apex predator, you didn't survive. But not only did she survive, she lived to be at least 45 and she traveled significantly. So she she clearly had some really good quality of life, at, at least at certain points. Yes, yeah, so this might suggest that she had a you know loving, caring family who are supporting her. Um, maybe we've got, got a nice ship she can sail on across the sea. You never know. It just shows quite a lot about like the culture as a whole. I think, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Now, moving on to our next burial. The, these next two burials, I'm right in thinking they don't actually come from Coppergate, do they? Yeah, so when you come around the gallery at Jorvik Viking Centre, most of what you see is from right here. It's from the Coppergoat excavation. But we do supplement it just a cheeky bit <laughs> with really educational things from other Viking Age dig sites from around the city. But most of it is Coppergate. 
The two skeletons that you see here after the Coppergate woman, they're actually from the St. Bennet's burials. So this is a dig that happened around Swinegate in 1989 to 1990. So Swinegate is really close to Barley Hall, our medieval attraction. It's kind of clustered around this area of streets with strange names. Coffee Yard, Great Plain, and Netherhorn Potts Lane. Those are some very English names. Yes. I, I want to say like Pip Pip Cheerio, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's a really interesting dig. There was lots of archaeology dating all the way back to the earliest years of York's history in the first century when the Romans turned up here. But looking at the Viking Age specifically, there were a small group of burials there from the vanished church of St. Bennet. You won't see that anymore now. You'll see a slug and lettuce, I think, around <laughs> there instead. Hey, that's a worshipping place for some <laughs> people, you know? So these burials here, uh, these, these are just two of those burials that we have on display. So let's talk about this first uh, burial here. So you might notice the lower half of his body is not here. It's he, kind of hard to miss, yeah. He, he was not chopped in half by a Viking or okay. anything like that. Only the upper part of his body was recovered on this dig site. And like the Coppergate woman we've just mentioned, he's in that same kind of 45 plus age brackets. <laughs> so can't be too precise, but he's lived to a fairly decent age for this time period. You'll also see he's got a coffin with him as well. Um, so clearly a man of some status and of course coffins are great because we can do dendrochronology tree ring dating on them so this shows something like last quarter of the 9th century to first quarter of the 11th century so again sounds pretty viking age to me <laughs> <laughs> nice locally sourced wood as well very ethical <laughs> low carbon <laughs> so looking at the remains that we have here um, some things worth mentioning are he has five dental abscesses. Ouch. Yeah, so not the best dental hygiene for this person. <laughs> we also know that he probably had poor nutrition or disease in childhood, judging by pitting on the eye sockets. There are some fractures on one of his vertebrae, meaning suggesting he fell over at some points. Bit of joint disease as well. But perhaps the most interesting thing the archaeologists have identified is they've studied the facial characteristics on his skull. They suggest he was of African or mixed ancestry. That's really interesting. I mean, we do, um, you know, the evidence suggests that Yorvik was a very multicultural place. Our ride has um, got quite a lot of different languages spoken and things. So it's it's really nice that the actual physical evidence that we found you know from the viking age is that people were of different kind of ethnicities around here so we know that he has african ancestry but using that kind of the the fancy isotopic analysis can we tell if he was from africa so the results do not point to a childhood in africa so we'd expect to see a different kind of profile of isotopes there they actually look like he probably was from Jorvik, or a very, very similar city, judging by the very high levels of lead in his body. Uh, lots of pollution here in the Viking Age. So he might well be born and bred here in Jorvik, potentially. So it looks like possibly he may have had an African parent or grandparents. 
Well, that's really interesting, though. So he um, was at least a second-generation immigrant. That's that's really interesting. Yeah, we know from some literary sources that there were people going up from the Mediterranean into Northern Europe. There's a great account of a, a Jewish traveller from Islamic Spain going up into Denmark, and he uh, complains about their terrible singing and things <laughs> like that. So there is definite contact between Northern Europe the Mediterranean, and Africa beyond that, of course, as well. So, so far, you've told us about a Scandinavian woman who immigrated to Yorvik, and you've told us about a man of mixed-race ancestry. What can you tell us about our third skeleton here? She's also from the Swine Gate Dig, wasn't she? Yes, so the same burial site as the second skeleton. And this woman here is a bit younger. She was aged 26 to 35 when she died. And she was buried in a coffin as well. You mentioned the dendrochronology or tree ring dating of um, the last skeleton. Were we able to do that on this coffin as well? Yeah, and it's very, very similar. Yeah. Viking age. Definitely a Viking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Though whether she's a Viking in the sense of Scandinavian is a question, though, I suppose. Because once again, isotopic analysis has been carried out on this person. And these suggest a rural childhood in a limestone region of inland Yorkshire. So it looks like she's a Yorkshire lass, this girl. (laughs) She she could, of course, have Scandinavian ancestry because the Vikings didn't just come into this city and never leave the city walls. They settled the countryside as well. Equally, she could, of course, also be of, I guess, Anglian stock as well, or mixed-race Anglo-Scandinavian. She has very low levels of lead in her body, unlike the previous skeleton, which suggests she lived in a nice, clean, rural area. (laughs) But then she's moved to the city and, of course, been exposed to the nasty stuff that's about her. the toxicity of city living. Yeah. There's evidence of a dietary shift as well. So she shifts from this kind of rural inland diet to the diet of urban York. There's evidence of stress and lack of nutrients, though, in early childhood. And there's actually quite a bit of fossilised plaque on all of her teeth showing signs of poor dental care, but thankfully not five abscesses like the previous (laughs) skeleton. She just needed to do a better job flossing. Yeah. And of course, this skeleton and the previous one, both buried in coffins, both in the churchyard of St. Bennett's Church, so presumably these people are going to be Christians as well. So no Thor's hammers or anything buried with them? Unfortunately not. I think one other grave from this site did have some grave goods, but they weren't very exciting, to be honest. It was like a belt buckle and a little (laughs) knife. So for the right person, very excited, I'm sure. But I tend not to brag about the belt buckle of St. Bennett's. So these look like these are going to be Christian burials, and the Coppergate woman, as mentioned earlier, possibly associated with the Christian churchyard, not 100% certain. Nothing like the Osserbergship burial, unfortunately. Well, so I was going to say, I mean, popular culture depicts Viking, you know, funerals and things as pushing a big boat out into a river and then shooting a flaming arrow at them. Now, I imagine that doesn't leave behind a tremendous amount of archaeological evidence (laughs) but is this not how most people were buried so the vikings are quite a wide and varied culture of course they cover a very wide area of the world and also it's quite a long time period 8th century to 11th century so there isn't really a standard type of viking funeral practice yeah so the boat burning kind of style of funeral that pops up a few times in our literary sources 
So, for example, um, Ibn Fadlan describes one in great detail. Even in mythology, it sometimes pops up. The god Balder has a boat burning for his burial, bur burial for his funeral. And there's all sorts of other things that we find archaeologically, though. So, less extravagant cremations <laughs> probably happened without wasting a perfectly good boat. <laughs> you get people buried individually, people buried in groups. Sometimes graves are marked out with something like a stone. Sometimes they're not marked out. Sometimes you get grave goods. Sometimes you don't get any grave goods. And there's just all sorts of different types of funeral practices. So we don't have any giant longships here, unfortunately, packed with treasure or anything like yeah. that. There is that nice belt buckle, though. Yeah. <laughs> there's that yeah. nice little knife blade. <laughs> um, but it just goes to show how diverse and the rich variety of different types of people lived in the Viking Age. All sorts of different cultural practices, different religious beliefs as well. Um, I mean, that's not totally out of the realm of possibility and, and reasoning, really, is it? Because we're the same now. People, Some people are buried, some people are cremated, some people are turned into paintings and rings and trees and stuff, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so no doubt in the future we'll find a few more Viking Age burials. We don't have too many that we've found yet in York. Um, quite possibly because the Vikings are making use of these churchyards, which are still in use today or have beautiful historical buildings built on top of them. So we don't get a lot of opportunity to accidentally discover <laughs> Viking burials. Quite in contrast to periods like the Romans, for instance. There are Roman burials just all over the suburbs of York, which pop up all the time whenever any property redevelopments happen. And yeah, not too many Vikings by contrast. But maybe one day we'll find some rich fancy burials out there, <laughs> an suburb ship or something, but... Sadly, not quite yet. We just have these three very interesting educational individuals on display here. If you liked this episode and want to learn more about the Vikings, then come visit Jorvik Viking Centre, where you can enjoy the sights, sounds and smells of the Viking Age. You can book your tickets at jorvikvikingcentre.co.uk. Don't forget to rate and review that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast on your podcast app. And if you enjoyed the show, share us with a friend. It's the best way to help support your favorite history podcast. To contact us for more information or ideas for future episodes, you can email us on podcast at yorkat.co.uk. Thanks for listening to that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other major podcast platforms. That Jorvik Viking Thing podcast is a production of the Jorvik Group and York Archaeology, hosted by Miranda Schmiederer and Lucas Norton. Researched by Lucas Norton, produced by Miranda Schmiederer, Lucas Norton, and Gareth Henry. Sound designed and edited by Miranda Schmiederer.